0: humbly with your God? Are you known for what you think or for what God says? So take a moment and just pray. for our first responders our police our military listen they're being put through the ringer pray for them right now pray for racial injustice in our nation and in our world pray for our african-american brothers in christ because i saw them on thursday standing up for the gospel standing up for what jesus has to say standing beside police officers and it was an amazing picture that only christ can bring of reconciliation pray our nation and pray for our african-american brothers and sisters father god we confess that we are sinners that have been saved by the grace of god by the blood of jesus and you've called us saints father you've given us the ministry of reconciliation that you father were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself that you so loved the world that you gave Jesus that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life father I'm praying for your church in America Lord Jesus the bride of Christ to be in holiness that we'd see that how we treat others is how we treat you Lord, there's so many issues from abortion to social injustices to slavery there's so many things in our world father that we need to have a voice over father may we do it in the grace of god may we do it according to the gospel your good news Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for peace. We condemn a a spirit of chaos that is trying to divide. And we pray for the bride of Christ to rise up in Jesus' name and to declare your truth, your gospel, your glory. You're the king, Lord Jesus. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning How are you guys? Wow, well, at least one of you's awake and excited. It is good to see you guys and I, I said this last week, but I know even as I look around it 's still a little bit weird we 're doing things that are kind of abnormal, having to wear masks and coming in and sitting this way and doing things. But it is good to see your faces or at least half of your faces i can 't see all of them, but it 's good to see you guys this morning instead of just looking at a camera. Um, I want to take a couple minutes before we jump into our F260 stuff this week and really just share a couple things to update you and keep you um, in the loop of things that are going on, a couple of opportunities. The first thing I want to tell you, and I totally forgot about this last week, I was supposed to tell you last week, but we have a new digital connection card. So you may have noticed when you walk in the door, we're no longer handing you a printed connection card, but now it's a digital one. Um, And so you simply text on your phone the word NEXT, to TBA Connect, which is 863-225-8565. If you're watching the little video playing behind you, Brandon so creatively set that up for us where you can kind of see walking through and you'll see pop up. This is me logging in. So if you're already in our system, it comes up with your information, makes it really easy for you to put stuff. There's a couple drop-down boxes there if you want more information. The things on those dropdowns will change as we have other things going on. Then there's a place you can put your prayer concerns or share a comment. Um, just a great way for you to stay in touch with us. And then our Next Steps team that Tim and Joni lead each week we'll be looking at those submissions and following up the same way we were doing with our paper card. So just an easy way for you to stay plugged in with us. You simply finish up, hit the button continue there at the bottom and you're good to go and that'll come right into our system where they can see that. So if you want to communicate with us, have a prayer concern or something else going on, just make sure you text the next steps or text to TBA connect the word next and it'll bring up that card where you can share with us. Also, just a reminder, and we've been talking about this week after week, even on our stream, um, just want to remind you that we're constantly reassessing the current COVID situation, trying to figure out the best steps. And I just ask you to continue to be in prayer for us. Be praying with us, be praying for us. Even this week, we're going to be meeting with our directors again and talking through what that looks like and how we're going to respond as a church. So continue to be in prayer for us. I know it's a difficult time for all of us to navigate But I do just want to say thank you to all of you who have been willing to sacrifice and be a part of these things and and do some of the things that we need to do to be the body of Christ to one another. We're all sacrificing in different ways, but this really is a beautiful picture of our walk with Christ. I also want to say thank you to all of you for your continued faithfulness and giving. Um, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but this entire time that we've been doing all this weird stuff with streaming and out of service and so forth, I think there's only been one week in like three months that we've been below our budget goal each week. Most of the weeks has been at or above what our budget goal is, and that helps us to be able to serve others well. Um, It's helping us to continue planning for the future, but specifically to serve and meet needs in our church family and also in the community um, and on that note, I want to also ask you this morning, if you'll just be in prayer for our sister congregation in El Zapote, Honduras. This is the church that we partner with and go down to visit at least once or twice a year. Um, Pastor Medardo and his family there, they are actually hopefully reopening their live services this morning as well. They have a lot of other restrictions that they are having to meet to do that, like they're going to have to take temperatures and wear masks and do social distancing and a whole bunch of stuff, but they're reopening this morning. And on that note, I want to take a moment, and I'm going to take a quick picture because I want to send to them. They're going to send us some pictures of their worship as well. Um, but everybody smile real big, and you've got to smile like extra big because they can't see through your mask. So make sure that you're smiling big, and I'm going to get to Pano here so I can get everybody. All right. Here we go. Wave, smile real big. Send your love to El Zapote. All right. Don't you love technology? We... Uh, I actually got to have a conversation yesterday with Pastor Medardo and one of his sons, Naum, and Naum's English has come along tremendously, so he doesn't have to count on my terrible Spanish. He can actually speak English, and, and we talk back and forth quite a bit, and we're sharing about some of the things going on. They're just really, really excited to be able to get back, and it's interesting, we forget the freedoms we have, but like through this whole time, our government has never said churches had to shut down. We did so for safety reasons, just to protect our church family. In Honduras, they literally shut the church down. They've opened up a lot of other places of business and other things, but they're still technically telling the churches they can't meet, and many of the churches are choosing to come together anyway in order to be the body of Christ and to serve. So it's just a really cool example of some things that are happening there. Um, Finally, I want to share one announcement with you for today. Um, Next week, this is for all the dads. Next week is Father's Day. I'm sure you remember that. And typically on Father's Day at TBA, we do something like some kind of crazy drawing or something where you can win a grill or a gift card or whatever. Um, This year, we're going to do it just a little bit different to keep it interesting. We want you to send us your best dad joke, okay? Your best dad joke. If you don't know what that is, it's the joke that you tell where your kids kind of cringe and then they give you that sympathy laugh where you go, they're just making fun of me. That's a dad joke. So you have two ways you can submit it. You can send us a video, which is what we would love to have um, if you just shoot it on your phone real quick, real simple. Submit that in to Brandon at bsnipe at or if you don't want to do the video, just email it. Type it out and send it. If you don't know how to do it, have your kids help you with it. They'll be sure and get it across to him. We're going to post those next week on Father's Day, so you have till next Friday to submit them. Then Father's Day, they're going to be posted on social media, um, and then actually this time our staff is going to come together and look at all of those, and between our staff, we're make a decision as to who has the best or maybe it should be the worst dad joke that gets posted, and then we'll be handing out a $50 gift card for that to the place of your choice. So you as a dad get to choose where that gift card is going to be. Um, So make sure that you are paying attention to that. So I think I've covered all of the updates and announcements for today, and I think that took about 10 minutes, we'll say. So that means that I've still got about 50 minutes to go for the message, and I'll still be under Stivey's record on a Sunday morning. Actually, I'm not sure if you can breathe in a mask that long, so I'm going to keep it down to about 45 minutes and we'll roll right on through. Anyway, here we go. So I'm going to give you guys some scary insight into how my brain works and what it looks like when I study and especially when God speaks to me. Um, I've never been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure that I could easily be diagnosed with ADHD in today's culture. Um, You know, growing up, it was basically just pay attention or I'm going to beat you. But now we have all these diagnoses and I think I would fall into that. So you're going to see as we go. So I was reading this week's daily passage, and I came across this phrase in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7. It says, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Now, I've read this passage, I would guess, probably a thousand times. I've heard teaching on it. I've heard all these illustrations. But this week, I saw something that I've never really stopped to think about or even saw before. I kind of sensed something different Think about that for a minute. The seraphim in the passage in in Isaiah's vision touches Isaiah's lip with a burning coal in order to remove his guilt and forgive his sins. He touches it with a burning coal. Let that sink in just a second. How many times have you touched a burning coal or been burnt by something? I was trying to think of like an experience I've had with that, and the, the one that sticks out in my mind the most is I was learning to weld and I wasn't very smart and I wasn't wearing pants or boots. I was wearing shorts and tennis shoes with low cut socks and I started to weld and it popped and one of those embers went down inside my shoe, burned a hole in my shoe, a hole in my sock and a hole in my foot and I remember listening and hearing it sear as it was touching my skin and burning it and I'll never forget that and I've never welded again without pants and boots on because that was something that will stick in your mind and I thought, man, Isaiah had a hot cold pressed to his lips. That's not a pretty picture. It's a picture that says he was being cleansed, but it hurts. It's not fun, it's not comfortable. And so I'm pondering that, and I highlighted that portion of the verse in my Bible, and then I wrote this phrase in the margin that I felt like God spoke to my heart. True cleansing from sin is not without pain. True cleansing from sin is not without pain. Now, God didn't speak to me audibly or anything, but it was just something I sensed in my spirit that God was saying to me. And I realized we have the privilege to bring our sin to Jesus. Any time of day, day or night, the privilege is ours. We bring it to him, no questions asked, and he forgives us. We lay it at his feet, simple. But forgiveness is only a portion of being cleansed, like what he's talking about here. See that picture of cleansing that we see in Isaiah is representative of true repentance, which includes a bunch of different things. It includes facing the consequences of our sin, Choosing to turn and walk a different direction, to make things right, and being willing to battle our flesh to gain victory over that sin in the future. And let's just be honest, sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's not easy. It's kind of like the searing of flesh from a hot coal that we read in that passage about Isaiah. Christ has already paid the price for the forgiveness of our sin, and he's bridged the gap between us and God that caused our sin. We've received forgiveness at no cost to us. That's a picture of Grace. But that doesn't mean that there are not still physical consequences here in this broken world that are caused by our sin. Repenting and taking ownership of our sinful condition involves more than just telling God, I'm sorry. It means truly dying to our flesh, beginning to live by the Spirit. And that's often a painful journey of change and cleansing, much like that burning coal to the lips, searing the skin. But I can promise you, and I think many of you can probably attest, it's worth that journey, and it's worth the cleansing that we walk through. Now, before we get too involved in that train of thought, and this is where you're going to see some of the craziness of how I think and go off on all these different tangents, I want to show you where that led me. I'm going to try to keep it just a little bit more organized, but I probably went like 20 different places as I was studying this week. But from that thought, I stepped back and I began to dig just a little deeper into the full passage of Isaiah 6 trying to really just to better understand what's happening and what he might be saying, what God may be trying to say to me, um, how he might be revealing something to me. What I came away with was this broader understanding of not only God's holiness that Isaiah walked into, but also our interaction with that holiness. So let's start just by looking at the short passage from Isaiah 6, and then I'll show you what I'm talking about. This is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord... He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And Paul's right there. Every time you see that, holy, 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 that is indicating that it is a picture of complete Holiness, that is like the definition of holiness. It's not just like we use the word holy, but it is a picture of completeness. God is absolutely holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So we've already talked just a little bit about the cleansing that Isaiah specifically went through with the burning coal. But I want you to step back just a little bit and look in general at how Isaiah responds to God's holy presence, his holiness as he walks into it. Now remember, he's having a vision and he's in the temple. And it's, we're not really certain about this the way some of the wording is, but it seems pretty likely that Isaiah's vision is really of the temple in eternity. It's God's heavenly temple that he is in and he's seeing as this unfolds, not just the earthly temple. But he's seeing this and he's seeing God's holiness. He's seeing his presence. And as he does that, look at how he responds. He responds. Isaiah recognizes his own unholiness. And I'm not even sure that's a word, but the point is, in contrast to God's holy presence, Isaiah recognizes his own sinful condition and how unworthy he is to be in that place. In fact, his first response is one of fear. He says, I'm going to be destroyed because I have seen the presence of God. I've seen his holiness. I've seen how amazing it is. His reaction is one of humility and a brokenness. And when he stands before God, he realizes he's nothing. He's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I want to clarify here, holiness is not just a characteristic of God. It's literally who God is. God is holiness. He's the picture that. He defines it, and he is our only true picture of holiness. We use that word very flippantly in our culture. Think about it. What are some phrases that come to mind with the word holy? You see something amazing or you see something that kind of blows your mind, what do you say? Holy cow! Holy cow! That's kind of ironic, isn't it? If you stop and really think about it, I mean, I've flashed back to the calf that was made as the idol um, in Exodus when you're seeing the Israelites come out of Egypt and we say things like that and don't think anything of it. When in reality, the word holy is referring specifically to God, He defines it, and we use it so easily, sometimes even with worse explicatives that I won't even go there. But I think we've lost the value and we've lost the importance of some words like that today in our language. We say them very simply, very flippantly, when in reality, they're a reference to God's holiness and how amazing that is. There's a Bible Project video about holiness that Dave was telling me about this past week, and this is one of those things we've shared with you often. It's a resource that I love, a resource I would encourage you to connect to. Um, There's a couple links there that you can see. You can go to BibleProject.com, or they have their videos on YouTube. All of it's free to watch, but they do a really good job of simplifying some complex subjects and helping you walk through it. And several of the things I'm going to share today, they share in that video, probably a little more succinctly and clearly than I will, even. Um, but one of the things I love is you're watching that video on holiness. Tim and John, who are the two guys that kind of lead that charge, they use the sun as an illustration to define God's holiness. And it's such a great word picture to be able to wrap your head around it. Think about it. From a scientific point of view, the sun is the source of all life here on earth. I mean, everything from heat that we experience to the energy that it gives us to how it helps us even to digest our food, to what it does for plant life to give them the things they need to be able to digest and reproduce, and everything that happens with plant life, the energy that it gives here on earth, the way it affects our orbit around the sun, even that is controlled by the sun. You know, it's our climate, our weather, everything ties back to the sun. And the sun is this beautiful thing, and it provides all of this life force at a distance of approximately 9.3 million miles away. Let that sink in. We go on a road trip, and we go 1,000 miles and think we've traveled the globe, and the sun is 9.3 million miles away. And very much like we experience with God, think about what happens when you get too close to the sun. Even here on earth, if we're out in it too much, if we're exposed too much, what happens? We get sunburned, Right? We have effects from the sun, but if you get too close to the sun, if we send up a space shuttle and they're traveling that direction, what's going to happen when they get closer? It's going to be burned up, completely consumed by the sun. The sun is powerful beyond our understanding or our comprehension, and it should be very similar to our understanding of God and who he is. At the right distance, the sun provides life as we know it. But the truth of the matter is we don't control the sun. We can't say to the sun where to go or how to shine or how powerful to be or anything else. In fact, it controls everything in our world by contrast. We see the same concept related to God. Many places throughout Scripture, I think of the story of Moses in the burning bush, for example. You remember that? Moses walks up on the bush and God says, You're on holy ground. Take your sandals off and don't come any closer. He can't get any closer to that burning bush. Or there's a story on Mount Sinai where Moses is allowed to see God, where he says, I want to see your glory, and God says, I'll pass by, and he covers him in the cleft of the rock so that Moses can't see his full presence, and he only allows Moses to see him from behind. In fact, even in that, God makes the statement that no one can see his face and live. Yet there's the example of, um, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 19, one of my favorite stories, Elijah, where he's on Mount Sinai, And God is calling to him saying, come out of the cave where you're hiding and stand here and see my presence. And what happens? There's a mighty windstorm and there's an earthquake and there's fire that comes by and none of those things are God's presence, even though they're so great and amazing, but it's in the silence that God shows up in that moment. And I think about each of those different encounters, different people, different circumstances, and all of them show the intensity of God's holiness that we cannot come face to face in his presence without being destroyed Here's men who come into God's holiness, they see his holiness, and somehow they live. And I wonder, why is it? And I think it's because of how they approached God's holiness. Interestingly, it's contrasted very indirectly in this same passage in Isaiah. And this is what I want you to see today. I don't know if you noticed, but the passage started with this phrase It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Now, we read over that quickly, and if you're anything like me, you probably look at that and go, okay, he's giving us a chronology kind of thing, telling us the time frame. This is when it happened, and he is. There's that truth to it, absolutely. But I think there may be something even deeper than that in this passage. So I want you to give me just a little bit of creative freedom here for the purpose of illustrating something to you. Think about King Uzziah and who he was. He was a good king in Israel's history. Especially compared to many of the other kings who came before and after him, all around him, he was a good king. In fact, Second Chronicles twenty-six frames the king like this: verses three to five. Uzziah was sixteen years old when he became king. Let that settle in. How many of you would want your sixteen-year-old to be in charge of our country? That's scary. Very, very scary. King Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. That's a long time for a king in this day. His mother was Jekeliah from Jerusalem, and he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. So Uzziah was a good king who did what was pleasing in God's sight for the most part. See, there's an interesting twist in Uzziah's story, much like many of the other um, faith giants that we look back at throughout Scripture. It's a part of the story that you probably wouldn't necessarily remember unless somebody pointed it out to you. I was reading through this in a commentary this week, and it just grabbed my attention. It's in that same chapter, 2 Chronicles 26. There's a passage that bears the heading in my Bible that says this, Uzziah's sin and punishment. And it unfolds this way, 2 Chronicles 26, 16 to 21. But when he had become powerful... He also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord, his God, by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. But as he was standing there raging at the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the high priest, and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out, and the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house for he was excluded from the temple of the Lord. His son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace and he governed the people of the land. Now, I want you to just go back and remember very simply the layout of the temple and how this worked. There were layers of the temple with very clear boundaries as you came in. There was an outer courtyard where basically anybody could come into. There was an inner courtyard, which had a, some different purposes, but one of those things was to bring your sacrifice to be able to present to the priest so he could make the sacrifice for you. Then there was the holy place, which housed the altar, where they would make the sacrifices, as well as the place they would burn incense, and this was the duty of only the priests. Only the priest could go into the holy place, this courtyard within. And then beyond that, there's a smaller room called the Holy of Holies. And if you remember from that within the temple, this is where they housed the Ark of the Covenant and some other things that God asked them to leave there in the Holy Holies. And this was the place where God's presence dwelled. So each time you step into the next courtyard, the next place within the temple, you're getting closer and closer physically to God's presence within the temple. And so Uzziah has gone into the holy place where he's not allowed to be by God's direction And he's burning incense, which he's not allowed to do because he's not of the priestly line. So he's doing two things that he's not supposed to be doing. And what you notice is when Uzziah walks into that place, he walks in with a prideful heart. It is him doing what he thinks he should be doing instead of recognizing God's all-consuming holy presence. Look back at verse 16. It says, but when he had become powerful, he also became what? Proud which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar. He approaches God's holy presence with a heart of pride and of arrogance, not recognizing God's overwhelming holiness in that moment. More importantly, not recognizing his own sin and his own lack of worthiness. And what happens? Even after the priests try to reason with him, they give him wise counsel, they try to explain to him, point out his flaws. What happens? His pride flares up and he chooses to, it says, rage at the priests in my Bible. He chooses to rage at the priests in response. Pause there for just a moment and I want you to ask a hard question of yourself Are there times in your life where you allow your pride to dominate your response? Are there times in your life where you allow your pride to dominate your response? Even in the presence of God's holiness, where you should be completely overwhelmed, maybe with conviction of the Holy Spirit, because of what you're facing, to recognize your own flawed nature. Maybe even in cases where you have godly brothers and sisters speaking wise counsel into your life. Do you respond in anger or even in defiance from a position of pride? Or do you respond in submission from a position of humility? I don't want you to rush past this moment. Let it marinate just a little bit for you. And it might be painful just kind of like having a burning coal pressed against your lips where it sears the skin. See, we read across words like this very quickly and probably carelessly a lot of times when we read our Bible. But when you think about that coal and the process of cleansing, it is not a pleasant experience. And I would say just like that, removal of sinful patterns in our lives, it doesn't come without pain and without full humility. That happens when we truly surrender our hearts and put ourselves completely at the mercy of God's sovereignty rather than trying to dictate the conditions of our surrender from a position of pride. Did you hear that or think about that? How many times do we try to dictate the conditions of our surrender, of how we deal with our sin? See, I look back at this passage and I really don't know for sure if King Uzziah was mentioned there simply as a a chronology thing to give you a time reference of what was happening or if he was mentioned there because of this contrast. But what I know is as I read through it this past week, it was a really tough object lesson for me to walk through recognizing that when you and I come face to face with God's holiness, when we come face to face with his very presence, we really only have two choices. The first is we can stand in prideful defiance and keep walking our own way the way we see King Uzziah did. And that leads to destruction. Or the second, we can bow in humility and surrender like Isaiah did, recognizing who we are and our worth against God's holiness. There really is no in-between. In fact, the truth of the matter is that in the presence of holy God, there is no response other than to recognize our own sinful condition. And I would argue all day long that even Uzziah recognized his sin in that moment. He just chose not to respond to it in the right way. He chose to hold on to his sin rather than facing the pain of humiliation and to admit his sinful condition, and he paid the price. Think about it. He was cast out of the temple. He couldn't come into the temple for worship anymore, and he also experienced leprosy from that point forward. In comparison, Isaiah humbly bowed in submission. He declared his own sinful position. He was welcomed into the temple. He was cleansed of his sin, and even beyond that, he was given a very specific calling to carry out for God. Now, which would you choose, leprosy or a special mission from God? Seems like a no-brainer, right? Should be an easy choice. And yet, I would suggest it often isn't for us. We often get stuck in these kinds of things. And just making it personal, personal for a moment, I can really relate with Isaiah. As I look at the things he's saying and the experience he has, what you see is for five chapters leading up to this passage that we're looking at today, he is calling out the people of Israel. He's busting their chops, laying the smack down. He's challenging them about their sin. He's calling them to repentance. He's talking to them about the things that they are doing wrong and what God is asking of them. And he's asking them to change their lives to come to cleanse with God. And then in chapter six, in this little passage, we see him come face to face with his own sinful condition that really isn't much different than the people. He recognizes that when I come into God's presence, I'm broken too. I'm sinful the same way. And as a pastor, I see a really interesting correlation there because God has called me to speak truth, to call people to repentance, to ask them to grow in their their spiritual journey, to, to challenge them to spiritual growth, even to set the bar spiritually, so to speak. But yet in the presence of God's holiness, I'm just like Isaiah. I recognize my own sinful condition. I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. We're no different and it's not just you, it's me too, it's all of us. See, one of the things our pastor team does often here, or tries to do often, is remove that pedestal that so many people try to put pastors on to say, well, they have to meet this expectation, that's who I'm following, they're my model, they're my example, and they think that pastors have it all figured out and they're walking their faith perfectly, but if you don't know me, let me just give you a little insight, just because God calls some of, some of us to serve differently, to serve by teaching and by training and doing these things, That does not mean that we have our faith figured out any differently than you or that we don't have those same sinful conditions or issues that we're walking through. All of us must constantly surrender to Jesus while we are living in this broken world. Don't put me or any other pastor on a pedestal that Satan will eventually knock us off of. And I'm just telling you, I don't know of a single perfect pastor. And if you do, either you're very gullible or they're lying very well, is all I can tell you. That's just the truth of it. See, Isaiah is a giant of our faith, much like Moses or Abraham or a lot of other characters we could mention, but he was still far from perfect. When he came into the presence of God's holiness, he recognized how unholy he was. He recognized his sinful condition. So let's shift shift gears just a little bit for a moment, and I'm kind of wrapping up here. Regardless of whether you see yourself as Uzziah or Isaiah, here's the hope that this story brings to us this morning. There is a huge significance to Isaiah's vision about the burning coal touching his lips and making him clean. Because up to this point, if you stop and think about it, what was Israel's understanding of cleansing? What was their understanding of being made clean? It was every time they came into the temple, every time they came into God's presence, they had to be clean. And it really came in two different ways. There were two different states of purity that they would think about. One was a moral purity, which you and I get. We understand that. It's how you live your life. It's how you respond to God's law. What are you doing? Are you behaving well, basically? So that one we understand, but the other was a ritualistic purity. And if you remember, the Israelites would go through this process where they would do these ritual baths and these cleansing and washing of hands and washing of feet and all these different things that was designed to purify them in order to come into God's presence. And it went so much deeper than their behavior because there were all these things they had to avoid that were impure. Things like death. They couldn't touch a dead body, whether it was animal or person. They couldn't touch bodily fluids like blood or those kinds of things. Any of that stuff, if they had contact with it, made them unclean. And not only did it make that person unclean, but if that person who was then made unclean went and touched somebody else, now that other person's unclean. So it was this ritualistic purity where God's holiness, they recognized it as being so great that it wasn't even just their behavior. It was also what they came in contact with that could scar them and bring that impurity into them that could not go into God's presence. So they had to cleanse themselves to be able to go into God's presence. Leviticus, if you remember, gives all of those mandates all the way through, all those instructions about what would make them unclean or unholy, and they would have to clean themselves to be able to come into God's presence. But what's interesting is, ironically, I would probably argue that many people today who are far from God are really no different from the Israelites of the Old Testament They look at God as this person that they cannot come to because they have to cleanse themselves or clean themselves before they can come into his presence. And what you see in this vision of Isaiah is the introduction of a whole new concept of God's love and mercy. For the first time, you see when this coal touches Isaiah's lips, that instead of Isaiah's uncleanness being transferred to the coal or transferred back to God, instead, God's purity, his holiness, his cleanness is transferred to Isaiah through the coal. And it's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of what Christ does in our lives. His pureness, his holiness, his righteousness is transferred onto us. So instead of us making him unclean, he's making us clean. And you see it all throughout the New Testament in stories of Jesus. Think about what Jesus was doing. He would go and he would touch the lame and he would touch the leper and he would touch the blind man and those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed and even raise the dead to life. And we don't often think about this because we just look at that and read into the miracles. But in reality, what Jesus is doing, he's going and touching everything that the law of Moses has said is unclean. You can't touch that. That will make you impure. You can't come into God's presence after that. And Jesus goes and touches each one and brings healing. And what begins to happen is instead of the impurity and the uncleanness being transferred onto Jesus, it's exactly the opposite. Jesus is so holy and so righteous and so pure that his purity is transferred onto who he is touching, and what he is touching. See, that's why you and I are able to stand here before God, even now. The truth is, it has absolutely zero to do with me and you, and it has everything to do with the righteousness of Christ and his holiness When Christ comes into our heart, when we make that decision to live for Him, to commit our lives to Him, to follow Him, to be a disciple, we've chosen a path that allows God to look upon the righteousness of Christ. It's the picture of justification that we talk about in Scripture. Christ gives His righteousness to us while we put our sin and our shame upon Him. We trade places. Band, you guys come on up. See, in Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but even more specifically, His death on the cross and His resurrection. They literally changed everything for us. Now, instead of having to clean our lives up in order to come to God, we simply have to surrender our lives to Christ and he begins to do the work of cleansing in us. And I don't want you to be fooled into thinking that this is some quick and easy, one step, one prayer kind of process. And hear my heart when I'm saying this, because for years the church, and I don't mean TBA, but the church as general, has done this whole sinner's prayer thing, and I'm not against it at all. We still do it here at TBA a lot of times. It's a first step. But you pray this prayer to invite Christ into your heart to ask for forgiveness of your sins, to confess your sins. And that is the point where Christ comes into our hearts, but it is not the end of the process. It's the beginning of a journey where Christ is cleansing us. It really is that picture of sanctification that we see. And you see it best in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, where it says, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Think about that. When Christ comes into our life, we're immediately made perfect. Christ sees, or God sees Christ's righteousness on our lives. That's how he looks at us now. We're made perfect in God's eyes. But also, it's for those who are being made holy. Holy. It's the beginning of a journey. It's a journey where God is working in our hearts and Christ is changing us and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and convicting us of things and beginning to cleanse us. And what was the picture of cleansing we just saw? It was the touching of a coal, a burning coal to the lips, that searing of skin. That cleansing is often painful. And the experiences we walk through and the struggles we walk through where sometimes we feel like God must be against us, in reality, What if it's God just beginning to cleanse us? To do something in our hearts and in our lives that he wants to clean up in us, to change us and to develop us and to help us to grow. And that's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. In fact, most of the time, it's painful. When faced with God's holiness, our only response should be one of humble submission. That's our only response. So I just want to leave you with this question this morning. You to ponder what is your response when you come into God's presence, when you come face to face with His holiness and His perfection and His purity? What is your response? Is it like King Uzziah who was prideful and it was his downfall, or is it like Isaiah who takes a position of humility and says, I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips, and he recognizes his impurities and his sinful condition? he allows God to cleanse him. What's your response? Stand with me. Let's take a moment to pray as the band comes back to lead us in some worship. God, I just thank you for how you speak to our hearts and how you have been at work even this morning speaking to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that sinful condition that we have. And God, even when we've come to you and even when we've committed our lives to you and you've begun the process of of cleansing us and making us pure, making us holy, God, when we come face to face with your holiness, we don't, don't even compare. We are so unworthy. We are nothing compared to you. So God, help us to recognize that position and to come humbly before you, to come bowing down, listening to what Stivey said to us as we were praying this morning. that that posture that we use to come into your presence. Help us to come humbly and broken. Help us to be open to what you want to say and what you want to do and how you want to work in us. Help us to be willing to walk in the pain when you're cleansing us of something. God, help us to embrace your discipline. That's not easy, but we need it. Speak to our hearts now. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.